welcome all of you here. I'm Ekaterina from Future London Academy and uh, welcome to another episode of our leadership series. And our guest today is amazing, wonderful, fantastic <laughs> Josh Higgins, who is currently VP Executive Creative Director for Atlassian. You probably know this incredibly huge tech company. And before that, he was Global Chief Creative Officer for Meta, where he was responsible for strategic creative development of Reality Labs family, including brands like Quest, Porto, Raven Stories. If you haven't got those glasses, they're quite amazing. I've been <laughs> filming stories this whole summer through Raven. It's a lot of fun. And also, Josh, to be honest, he has so many different or had so many different careers that I was just uh, questioning before this call, how did he manage to fit all of this in one life? Because before joining all these incredible companies and growing and leading design teams across the world, uh, Josh was design director for President Obama's campaign. And uh, that's another incredible story in his life where he essentially led uh, the design and direction, including web, data and technology and everything else in uh, Obama's team. And before that, Josh was a musician and played in a band and toured the world with some of the most well-known musicians. I really have a feeling we need like proper eight hours to cover all of the things that uh, you've done. But for now, just welcome, Josh. And how are you feeling today? Doing great. And thanks for having me. And thanks for that. That's a very nice introduction. And um, hopefully well, you all actually did this thing. So <laughs> thank you. I'm just happy to be here. We are so happy to have you as well. And uh, we received so many questions to you, to you that we will cover throughout this conversation. But what I want to start with, something that I personally was very curious about, which is your work with Obama. I mean, it's very difficult to start anywhere else than with this pivotal <laughs> point uh, in your career. And yeah. uh, you have lovely pictures hugging with um, uh, yeah. Barack Obama, which is um, something that, uh, yeah, it kind of shows how probably close you are, uh, you were throughout that relationship. So I wonder, what did you learn about leadership from working with someone who is probably at the very top as any leader can get, at least yeah. in this world. Yeah. Well, first, um, I'll start off by saying he smells amazing. That hug, I took a big whiff as I was uh, hugging him. I think the thing, the, the number one thing I learned is trust. And you have to trust the um, your team and the people that you work with. He um, and his leadership, that was the key, I think, to um, them. They, they just really empowered the other folks to do their thing. They, I think when you hire... We, when you hire correctly and you hire some of the some of the best minds I got the privilege to work with you you can just trust uh, obviously um a lot there was a lot of um, strategic decisions that had to be made um and he trusted his team to to make those and and execute on them and so I, I think that's what I learned most and when you say trust how did it manifest? Or what can you give an example when you notice that specific uh, trust in you or in your team? I think what I expected was a lot of direction um, and um, very, very specific, like a playbook of here are the things that I want you to and your team to execute on. There was a, um, a roadmap of those things, but it wasn't, it, it didn't go beyond that. Then it was up to us to figure out the best way to execute, whether it was a website, um, whether it was a donation platform, whether it was, you know, communications uh, for the events, it was up to us to figure out um, how the best way to do that. And I think that's where the trust, the, the trust comes in. And probably working with such a huge personality in general, and from what I've heard, he is very charismatic and He's very charming and he has a certain character to him. So when you work with someone there of that status and that uh, uh, personality, how do you find your own leadership space within that? Because you were still mm -hmm. heading the team, you still were making decisions. So how did the balance of power work in that context? I think, well, first it was, you know, uh, very intimidating. Um, to say the least, um, I would say that, you know, his interactions, his interactions with the team, 
were, you know, it wasn't daily. And so, you know, we would often get direction through his, you know, people on his staff um, and things. But when we did, when we were in his, in his presence, um, you definitely felt it not, not only for all the um, security measures that you had to go through uh, just to be in the same room, but also um, to your point, his, his personality was so big. What was interesting is, you know, the campaign, there was probably 800 people um, on uh, on the floor, so to speak. And when, when we would all gather um, to, you know, to, to speak with him and hear from him, it was incredible how you felt the warmth from him, even with the, you know, such a big crowd of people you felt, at least I did, I felt like a, a warmth. Um, and it was incredible that he was able to, when speaking to us, he was able to go from some very serious topics um, and eloquently flow into, um, you know, we were all in Chicago where the, where the best beer and pizza was in Chicago. Yeah. It was just really amazing to watch him, um, to watch him speak and, and be in his presence. Wow. I feel like you have so many stories probably from that time <laughs> and so many interesting things that you noticed. I think one thing that always surprised me about Obama's campaign and in general that time in politics is the power of design. And I think mm. that was the first time when kind of design was noticed as a tool of influence. Yeah. Um, what did you learn about the value of design uh, while you worked on that campaign? You know, going through school and then early in my career, um, I'd always heard the term, um, you know, design can change the world. And to be honest, um, it was it was something that was hard for me to sort of comprehend. Um, I knew I knew how it could do it in small ways um, and in some in some maybe a bit larger ways. But that was when I truly saw how design can can really change uh, on a global scale. It really was hard for me to comprehend at the time as well. I remember, well, one, I didn't have a lot of time to think too deeply about it because we were just so um, uh, entrenched in what we were doing. But upon reflection after the campaign, um, it was it was really incredible to sort of look at the body of work that the team, um, the different teams um, uh, executed and put out into the world that really helped shape like who he was and how people experienced who he was. Um, and I think, I think that was just when I really realized, wow, this design really has the power to, to influence and change uh, the world. And were there any particularly difficult design decisions that you had to make to make a bigger <laughs> impact or any, any good stories there? Yeah, I think um, the one that comes to mind was um, he was such a different candidate at the time and and still is. You know, we really wanted to have him be represented differently as well. And uh, after I was um, hired, um, I did uh, extensive research into campaigns, all, uh, you know, U.S. campaigns all the way back um, to the 50s and 60s and just to see how um, how graphic design uh, influenced or played a role within those campaigns. And I think one of the obvious things was color. It was always the same blue, the same red. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that is a place where we really can sort of mix it up and, and shake it up a bit. And so I, uh, I remember spending, I don't know, at least a couple of days with Pantone books and just like, really going deep into color and and thinking about um, different combinations because I, I knew we weren't going to get away from red and blue, but how could we introduce a different hues that really signaled that he was, you know, he was a different candidate. And so one of the longest and probably most challenging conversations was getting uh, the rest of the, of the folks to accept a different blue and a different red. I know that sounds so trite and funny, but it was it was a big it was kind of a big um, a big deal at the time um, to really um, you know it was taking a it was taking a risk. Um, how would people see that, view that, accept it? And so I remember having we had a an advanced team that um, 
they are responsible for going out to the venues before Obama um, arrives there. And sometimes they go out a month in advance and they get the, um, they, they see how they're going to set up the event and things like that. And they're also deal with, um, with uh, news, news crews and things like that. And so we had to do a test just to see how that blue showed up on television. And so uh, there was a very, I would say, a week-long conversation uh, back and forth about how the blue would show up on television and things like that. So that that was probably one of the most um, uh, drawn out and long decisions uh, was the blue. I think there was there was definitely many others, but that's the one that comes to mind. I love this because I think uh, it seems like the story of brand and subtle changes of color followed you through your career because you were at Meta when uh, Facebook went through the rebrand and became Meta and also changed blue a little bit. (laughs) Blue has been a big part of my life. (laughs) Was that decision as long or even longer when you were at Meta as it was? No, it it definitely, it was not. It was, I I would say it was uh, as challenging, but it it wasn't as long. Um, Yeah, we we considered a bunch of different colors. when thinking about uh, the the rebrand, but um, ultimately there was just and you know just like in politics, there's so much equity within mm-hmm. that color that um, from a brand standpoint, it it, it was better to um, build on that rather than try and build equity into something new. Yeah, the subtle subtle differences that make a, a big big impact. Um, that's what yeah. design is all about. Um, I love it. It's the well, details. Details, exactly. Um, so we started talking about Meta and your journey there. And uh, it's it seems like a, it was like a challenge on a completely different level. Can you tell a bit more about why did they hire you? Like, what do yeah. you think they saw in you that was very special and, and fit for the challenge that they had in mind? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, um, I have thought about it um, quite a bit. I think at the time when I joined, uh, or at least was speaking with them, um, Facebook slash Meta um, did not have branded marketing um, per se. At the time, they had um, they have a they had a communications design design team that sort of they took on anything that wasn't like product design related. So everything from the corporate um, uh, financial report all the way through the messenger logo, it was sort of like. A, you know, any, any sort of design project. Um, but there wasn't in a lot of the uh, marketing was done um, with agency support and those two teams weren't connected at all. And so um, I think what they saw in me is what I had built for Obama um, and, and we're looking to, um, you know, build a similar team within, within Facebook that hadn't, that hadn't been there before. Um, shortly, shortly after I joined, um, we hired, um, our first CMO and I, I would say that that was probably the, the, the turning point for the, for the creativity and that came out of, um, Meta at the time, because, uh, it, it just, it really focused the company around how important brand is throughout the company. There was varied, um, levels of, uh, what investment we needed to make in brand, you know, Facebook at the time, um, was, you know, and still is, but was like growing rapidly. Um, when I started there, there was 3,500 employees only. That was it. And, you know, when I left, it was close to a hundred thousand. So, um, that was in nine years. So you can just, the math, uh, you know, the growth is just enormous. And so, yeah, I think, you know, they, they brought me on to really help codify, um, and really focus the brand efforts there. Um, and that was one of the first things I focused on was um, uh, Facebook's first brand book. So, um, I was like, it's a nine-year-old company and we don't have these guidelines, you know? Um, and so it was it was a little bit chaotic, but I think anyone that works uh, within a tech company um, knows the, the, the chaos that happens when you, as you grow. Um, and it's uh, it's it's a little bit of the wild west, but that's part of what makes it so exciting. That's very interesting how you 
describe your journey there? Because I think that's probably very similar to a lot of companies or a lot of startups specifically and product focused company when it starts with a very much product focused design and everything mm-hmm. is about product and everything is about digital. That brand is kind of put aside, is more of a functional uh, thing that maybe is used for certain marketing ac- activations. And uh, then at some point it reaches critical mass where yes. you actually have to have to think about it, which not necessarily I'm saying the right way to do it. I come from the brand side, so I would say brand should be there from the beginning. But that's I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you there. I'm with you there. But what's interesting, another thing that you mentioned that another hire was a CMO, which is, again, something that is currently a, an industry suppose, standard, that there is a CMO and potentially a CCO, not always. Sometimes there is only a CMO. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on the dynamic between CMO and CCO and whether there should be one and not two? <laughs> there definitely should be two, for sure. I've worked in organizations, well, I mean, even... At, at Facebook before the CMO was there, it's hard to have alignment between the different functions without someone overseeing that. And it's um, it's, a, it's a bit hard to self-organize. And so the CMO, I, I really think helps focus product marketing, brand marketing, um, and performance marketing. And so we're all, if, if all those functions are saying different things, uh, it's obviously not great for the brand. And and so I think a, a CMO at the highest level really helps to focus those efforts um, and make sure that everyone um, is, sing, you know, for lack of a better term, singing from the same song sheet, um, which, re, re, you know, the consistency of brand is so important, obviously, because um, it builds trust um, and confidence. And even the slightest variants within that uh, are, are not great for the brand. And I think if you look at some of the best brands, you, you can see the consistency and why they are the best. It's so hard to achieve in a big company. It's really hard. Do you think there is a way where actually chief creative officer take that role of overarching kind of person who looks after each touch point and each manifestation of a brand? Or you do feel like, basically, what do you feel like is the difference between a really strong CCO who can look at all these things versus separating this into two roles? Um, well, I think the, the the difference is one is more business focused. The CMO is more business focused and my role is more creatively focused in how bring those big business objectives to life create, creatively. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a, a good argument to having just one or the other. I, I personally, I think you need both. I, I have yet to see it work without both so i i mean i would love to see the different companies who approach it differently and and see which one works because i don't think there are many who pursue just chief creative officer so it's more of a speculation than potentially a a a solution but there are many companies who just pursue getting a cmo without having a chief creative officer and that's definitely um not not a very solid plan in my opinion. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. And I, I think I think it, it comes down to how how much the company values creativity. And that is definitely something that you know I I would look to um, before I joined any company was my first, you know, is what is their track record, how invested are they are are they within with creativity? Um and, and really having uh someone with a creative background and with a seat at the leadership table because um oftentimes you know there's there's some companies who feel that um creativity is a service it's sort of you know you you write a ticket put it in and and you get something back and that's you know that's definitely not someplace i would thrive in 100% agree with you and uh, this is exactly the reason why we're having these conversations because so far, chief creative officers are a rare breed, but we do believe that designers and creatives should have more of a seat at a boardroom level and a C-level because they're the ones with, with imagination and with ideas that can benefit the entire company. When you joined uh, Meta or Facebook at that point, as far as I understand, they did not have the chief creative officer as a role at all. So you joined as an executive creative director and progress to this role. So, which means they literally created it for you. 
So can you tell a bit more about that journey and how yeah. to convince a company or did, how did this conversation, first of all, come up? Did you say that, hey, guys, we need that you've created politics and maybe <laughs> I'm the best person? Or how did it all come about? Um, it was pretty organic, actually. How, how it transpired for me was when uh, Mark um, hired a woman named Regina Dugan, who who, by the way, if uh, if our if our audience has doesn't know who she is, please Google her after we're done. She's a just amazing leader, amazing woman. He hired her to f- um, think about what was next technology wise for um, Facebook slash Meta. Uh, she also worked. Uh, she she led DARPA for the U.S. government, which um, the technology arm of the U.S. government, and. Um, so her and I had worked under President Obama, and so we we met and really hit it off um, and talked about our time. Uh, and so as she was building um, this uh, team within Facebook called Building Eight, it was sort of a, a very secret team um, of scientists and engineers, sort of figuring out what was next. And um, she asked if I would be able to help her from time to time with. Um, different creative needs she had because she didn't have a creative team. And I said, sure. Um, and so I, you know, uh, I worked with her on the identity for building aid and she was really uh, thoughtful about like, what is the culture of my team? What is, you know, how do we, how do we um, self-identify um, within this large organization? And, 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 you know, she went right to uh, branding and like, we need to have like a team identity. And so I helped her with that. Uh, we worked with the experimental jet set um, uh, in Amsterdam uh, for that identity. And it's just beautiful, just beautiful work that they did. So one of her first ideas was for Portal, which was Facebook's video calling device. And so that was, that was um, something that she took to Mark and be- he greenlit and became a product. So all of a sudden there was a need to, have um, a full go-to-market function for this product. Um, and so she had asked if I wanted to lead that team and put that team together for her. So I put, the, you know, I started putting that team together uh, a year later. I took over uh, the same functions for Oculus and built out a team Quest, built out a team for that. And before I knew it, I had kind of worked myself into a CCO position, uh, building uh, all these creative functions from brand design, uh, marketing um, design, uh, experiential production, program management, business affairs. Um, uh, and so the team the team was uh, getting quite large. And I talked to our, um, our CMO and uh, it was just really a, a, just a natural thing that it, um, the role turned into by by just building and that I think that was one of the is one of the beautiful things about working at Meta that I really enjoyed the most was the opportunities um, no one was telling you no if you saw opportunity you just if you went after it um, usually it would happen and and so that was an opportunity that um, you know I remember Regina telling me hey this may be nothing this team might be disbanded within a year so are you sure you want to do this and um i remember thinking uh think i believed in her so much that i was like this is a, a great a great um opportunity i'm going to take the chance and you know it, it really turned into something one of the best parts of my career that sounds amazing and uh obviously seems like this was a great relationship between you two that uh, really created a trusted partnership and benefited the company, benefited both of your um, creative adventures. So in terms of, I suppose, the practicality of it as well, was again, creating a new role, even if it's needed, it's a big step. And especially when we talk about sea level, were there any other people that had to get involved to make a decision on that? Because it's one thing the design team says, you know what, we need a chief designer, we need a chief creative, so we definitely need it, we believe we need it. Um, and then another thing, the business and everyone else in the business saying, we do believe that someone we do need at a C-level. So what kind of conversations did you have with top management or anyone else outside of the the creative side uh, and any tough questions you had to answer during that part? I Well, I definitely had the conversation with our CMO, Rebecca Van Dyke. Um, and so she and I, she and I discussed um, a lot because there wasn't that 
as you had mentioned, there wasn't that um, position in the past. I think it, by the time um, that conversation was happening, myself and the team had demonstrated the impact that we could have in having someone uh, in that position. Yeah, it, it, it was very natural how it happened, honestly. Um, we definitely had conversations about it. I remember talking to her in, in I had already been doing the role pretty much for the last year um, without the title. It was. It definitely showed me. There's no easy. There's no path to um, achieving these things. It just. It's really. It's hard work. That's all there is to it. Um, I, I've get. I've gotten answered. I've got asked that question so many times. So, what is. What is the secret? And the secret is hard work. That's it. No way around it. <laughs> there's no way around it. You just have to put in the. You have to put in the time and, and definitely the the effort and be in and be invested. Um, I, I do. I do believe that I'm. You know, I've been very fortunate. I'm super grateful for the opportunities that I've been um, afforded. I, I do, I do think in some way um, I, I've earned them as well because I put in the work. One thing you mentioned, which I think is exactly what probably contributed to that conversation and, and the decision making at the end, is about the impact of design. And uh, you mentioned how you already were showing the impact and the value of design. And uh, that's something that, again, a lot of creatives sometimes forget uh, by being too focused on the the creative side and everything that we as creatives believe in and thinking what actual impacts does this make for the business. So what kind of things, when you say it already proved they had an impact, what kind of things were you showing or sharing? What metrics, what numbers, what are the things that you felt were important to share with the business to show that what you are doing and your team is doing is actually having a big impact on business. When you're working on, you know, early days of Facebook and it, it, it was a, it was harder to quantify that impact because it is, it, you know, Facebook is a free service. Um, obviously there's a lot of people on the platform, but it's hard to, it's hard to quantify whether like the marketing and branding that we were doing was contributing to that or not. There's, there, it's a really hard thing to, to, to sort of measure. But once we started um, creating consumer products like Quest and Portal and Ray-Ban Stories, it's a little bit easier to measure that impact um, and what um, design um, does for um, those products. And so I think, I think, you know, a lot, a big part of our job um, within the company was really demonstrating and helping educate um, those that hadn't worked with creatives um, as much really like through the process of design and really, you know, back to um, referencing where we, where we were talking about it just being a service and really demonstrating why, like the thought that goes into um, the thought that goes into e even a brief and, and how important that brief is for the designers to, um, to springboard from or the creatives to springboard from, because it, you know, without that brief, you know, it's it's sort of um, crap in, crap out. Without a great a, a great brief, it, it's just going to be like something that maybe looks nice, but is not connected to the business goals. And so, really demonstrating the strategic thinking that goes into the work that we do, I think was was a big part of big part of like um, demonstrating the value of design. And then, I think obviously the the sales. Uh, you know that was probably the the, the best metric that um, that was that everyone could see was when you know I'm thinking about Quest for example I first put Quest out a, a lot of the um, sort of conversation on social media um, through people who were you know big uh, fans of Oculus was about the new packaging everyone was like talking about the new packaging or they were talking about, you know, we really were focused on diversity um, of both, of both thought um, with the creative, but also the output and even all the way down to the casting of who was in the television commercials and things like that. I mean, diversity was thought of across the board. That was something that we, you know, myself and the team were so passionate about and, and having people comment on that and really taking notice um, because um, Quest was first known as a, a gaming device. You know, virtual reality was thought of as just gaming. And so that audience, when with, when the first Quest came out, having them notice um, in the advertising and the design 
um, the diversity was just really, I know it was a really special time for myself and the team because something that we we're so passionate about, people were actually seeing um, through our work. Um, and so, um, you know, back, back to, I think that was, that was something that could be measured and, and seen. And I, I think that was um, really demonstrated the value of, of what we did. I love how you talk about slightly different metrics that you look at. On one hand, it all comes down to sales. That's literally the goal of the business is to sell something, yep. the definition of it. Uh, so it all comes down to revenue and metrics connected to revenue. But I also like how you talk about conversations of like how many people talked about packaging. So obviously, conversations mean awareness, means brand awareness, means uh, just in general product awareness. So therefore, and it can be measured whether you're on Twitter, you can obviously look at you know hashtags or certain words and keywords and stuff like that, that will help you understand whether something that you put so many hours in didn't make a difference or it kind of went unnoticed. Unnoticed not is always the worst thing, specifically if we talk about business goals. I think awareness is one of them. It's a big, I mean, for a brand, um, especially a brand like Quest, um, who, you know, who had very low brand awareness uh, at the time, you know, virtual reality was something no one really um, understood or knew um, sort of the impact that it could have. Mm. Um, and so part of our, part of our job was really helping people even know what, uh, what virtual reality in Quest was. That was like one of the number one um and, and, you know, oftentimes that audience spoke about the experiences within the headset, which is totally makes sense, you know, the, the different games and, um, but to have them talk about the packaging instead of the experience, that was pretty special. And was that in originally in the brief that you gave to your team that it has to generate awareness or did it happen organically or what metrics? Did you have, if any, as part of the brief or packaging design to then go back and measure whether that part, project was successful? I think it was definitely, um, I think the part of the brief was like create something. I mean, I, I remember specifically uh, talking about we want to create something that people don't want to throw away or recycle. That was, you know, that was probably the top goal. I think if, um, I don't know about you or your audience or the audience, but um, I still have like probably every Apple box of every product that I've ever purchased from Apple. And I, it's too hard to throw away because they're so beautiful. And, and, and so I sort of, I, that was sort of the, the, the thinking was like, let's make something so beautiful that you don't want to throw it away um, or, or recycle it. And, and so, you know, I, I feel like we achieved, we achieved that. I love it. And I love how you phrase it as well. Because I think it's part of exactly what creative leadership is all about, given the goal that on one hand has the emotional sense to it, that it is something that you care about, something you admire, and something that is this beautiful thing that you just, as a designer, as a creative, you're very proud of. On the other hand, it's something that serves a business purpose, which is awareness again we can think of if people don't throw something away they probably think about the brand more often and all of exactly. the other things uh, and also they will probably share it with friends if friends visit their houses they might see it and all of these things that are connected to that very much emotional part um i love i love how you phrase it it's very beautiful well thank you yeah to your point i think i think it really um you know that's part of the brand building is really creating um, an emotional connection to every touch point um, whether it's a television ad which is probably a little more obvious um, but also the experience of walking into a store you know maybe you have it you don't know about quest and you see that and you're attracted to it because of its you know because of its beauty or if you are uh, a quest fan you have it and it's something you're so proud of um and so yeah i think it's really it's really important for uh, any brand to to really have that top of mind is what is the emotional connection that your um your customer has with uh with whatever touch point or surface it is that's a brilliant way to describe it and we actually have uh comments in the chat about when we discussed whether it's chief marketing officer chief creative officer chief brand officer as an alternative uh what what do you think about that should there be a chief brand officer i think there is there is that role i don't i don't know if i've i've heard that exact title but you know there is like um 
uh, global heads of brand. Um, often, oftentimes, um, it's probably that role is probably a little bit more in my experience, been a little more business focused when it comes down to even my, my current title at, at Atlassian, I think executive creative director, it's a very similar role to the chief, to a chief creative officer. It's just called something different. Um, so I think it, it, that's something that, um, I have found as well is depending on where, what organization you're a part of, you know, even creative director, the term creative director is is varied, um, and I think it's it really comes down to how the company um, is is organized. But really, making sure that what I look to is is their creative leadership at the at the C suite C suite level, and is that something that is valued? Um, if it's if it's not, that's not somewhere that uh, you'll find me. I love that you describe these kind of different positions and job titles as kind of similar and depend on the context because I feel like sometimes people get very much wrapped up in a becoming a creative Mm -hmm. director or chief creative officer or whatever that role is without necessarily understanding all the components for a specific company as well because chief creative officer in one company will be very different from another Mm -hmm. and what surprised me about your story is obviously you've been chief creative officer and now you went to VP which Again, if we think of the hierarchy of titles is potentially not necessarily a roll up, but as you're saying, it's exactly the same. But emotionally, I'm sure there was a thought that the next role has to have the C in it after being chief yeah. creative officer. Was it difficult to suddenly lose the C that people want so much in their title and go sideways? Um, no, it, it wasn't. It, I, I have to say that um, I did think about it for sure. Um, I won't say I won't think about it, but at the end of the day, if you look at my career, the focus has never been around my title. My focus has always been, and I, I what impact can I have? When I went to work for Obama, I was actually um, a, a partner at the agency I was at. And I can tell you that I would go in at 11 and leave at 4. Uh, it was a very cushy position. Um, and I had worked so hard uh, to that point that I was I was like, oh, I need a little, like, this is a nice rest right now. Um, and then when uh, I was fortunate enough to have Obama's administration reach out to me, I had to leave. I had to consider, I left all that behind to do this. Uh, I took an enormous pay cut to go do that. I'm only stating that because it, it, I think it demonstrates like I've never been um, someone who chases a title, um, who chases, uh, it's more around what impact in, um, I can have. And also what, what is the, um, what is the creative opportunity to really help move something, a business or an organization forward. And so, um, with you know, with Atlassian, where I'm at now, they're very invested in creativity and having someone at at an executive level um, who who is who is championing creativity um, throughout the company, and and you know that was my role at Meta as well, even though it was a different title. I think um, it's less about the title and more about for me the impact that can be made. I love it. And uh, definitely a great way to just navigate your life in general and with this career. It makes it really easier. It makes it easy. If you're focused on, if you're focused on that, I think you'll, you'll just, I mean, at least in my, in my case, it makes me uh, a lot more content and happy and feeling and feeling fulfilled rather than, you know, a, a, a title is not going to fulfill you. Um, I, the impact that you have and, and, and what you create, that's what's fulfilling. That's a great way to think about it and definitely something that um, I I totally agree with and something that I wish someone told every single school kid when we're choosing our careers and, yes. careers and jobs uh, that you should listen to what's inside you. Did you need to learn about business when you got to this position? How did you learn those things? You know, I, I honestly, I resisted it for a long time. Um, and I think if it's your desire to really have an impact on a business like Meta or Atlassian, you have to be invested in what what is um, the companies are making huge investments in your team, not only from the folks that you hire, the agencies you work with, 
the media that that they're purchasing so your uh your beautiful work can go out into the world um you have to take that really responsibly when i was younger in my career i didn't really understand that that connection and honestly i didn't think about it a lot uh once you you know get into a position where you're leading teams and and building um you have you know enormous budgets you have to really start taking that into account and you're held accountable for that money and so if you're not thinking about how these decisions you're making affect the business and the overall um health of that business then you're not going to be you're not going to be successful in your role for sure so um i think i think a lot of it i learned through um working with the brilliant minds in marketing that i've been connected with and and really uh, a lot of it's been through watching them work um and and paying attention there's there's one there's one thing to um collaborate with the the different marketing managers but then there's another thing to really like um understand why they're making the decisions uh they're making um from you know strategy on um media placements and media buys um all the way through um you know to to social media and in the the places where we invest there uh, much of what i learned through for the business part of it has been learned through really paying attention to why the different decisions are made and then how our work is connected to that can you remember any specific uh, example or number or decision that marketing team had to really explain to you maybe you disagreed but there was a it was a business driven decision and yeah. you had to really try to understand their point of view on that yeah i i, I think one of the first was uh one facebook's first um brand campaign that we did it was the first time that the company had spent that much money uh i think um uh, we had we worked with a, an amazing uh film director uh which did not come uh cheaply uh we bought tons of media the company was really really wanted to understand what this investment was going to yield um and so we had to work we didn't have to we worked with data science um and others to develop a measurement plan to really track that and there's something elusive about creativity i think all the folks on this call can probably make a correlation between what we put out into the world and in sales but from a data standpoint it's really hard to track um because there's so many factors that come into play so i i don't think that anyone's really like figured out the the perfect way to measure there's different there's definitely different um different ways to measure but um i think one of the things is you know we put we put some of the work through user testing um and what came back the creatives were like that's bullshit <laughs> uh we're very very against uh what they had heard um and it, it went against everything that that we sort of knew instinctually it was the first time that i i was really surprised because it was so opposite of what we had thought um the work was going to achieve um what the data was coming back uh saying and so we did make adjustments um based on some of that and i think that's another thing i'll say is like um our 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 cmo rebecca van dyke at the time um you know the the data people the our you know our data team was like giving suggestions into here's what you here's what you need to do uh we were like no way we're not going to do that um and then uh, you know that's where a really great cmo um can come in who's and she's someone who you know who's just believed in creativity so much and um said hey let's take this information let's see what makes sense for us to change instead of holistically changing everything let's see what we can and and actually i think it's it, it was a, it was a time where i really learned like okay the value of this data um it, it's almost like coming when coming up through school they i remember having so much feedback um from peers and other folks and i remember my professor saying like you need to take that distill it into what you think is right and put it in there you don't have to like take it wholesale and i think you know at a very much larger scale that's what we did is is we we took what we thought made sense 
um, and we incorporated it into the work and actually um, really changed the trajectory of that work to be much more impactful. Um, and, and I think it was a it was a one of those like aha moments for me. And I really related it back to when I was in uh, when I was in design school and in the in in receiving feedback on my work then um, and and really like trying to figure out like how do I incorporate this? Um, what how, you know do I have to take what everyone's saying and 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 change this completely? But it was really um, it's a really valuable for me. It was a really valuable lesson uh, to learn how to work with that input. These are very wise words from your teacher to take everyone's feedback and kind of dilute and digest it and get what you need to progress with your work and what you think is right for your next thing and again, applies to everything, not just design. I feel like yeah. it applies to life. We can yeah. sometimes have so much noise and information in our world that uh, it's very difficult to focus on what actually you're trying to do here and what you believe in, what you should do. Definitely listen to people. Definitely be open to other opinions and conversation. It doesn't mean, mean that you need to take anyone's um, decision or side. Uh, you can always um, decide for yourself. Take it until you make it. Agree or disagree? <laughs> Absolutely disagree. <laughs> I just think you have to fake faking it doesn't do anybody any good. I think you really need to um, understand, like, no matter if it's design or anything else, you have to understand deeply about what you're doing, what the goal is. I think faking it uh, only lasts for you. It'll only get you so far, and then you're going to be exposed. So I think um, I think well, I disagree. No, you just ruined everyone's imposter syndrome. What about those promotions <laughs> we have to take and pretend we know what we are doing? I don't know. I maybe I'm taking the question the wrong way. I just I think you you just need to demonstrate impact and um, your ability uh, instead of faking it. Well, wise words. Uh, and uh, when making important decisions, do you rely more on intuition or data? I would say intuition. I think data is really important. Um, but that that intuition or gut feeling is um, is is something that I've always relied on in uh, both creatively as well as in my life. Love it. All organizations should have a chief creative officer. Agree or disagree? Agree. Uh, again, back to um, doesn't matter really what the title is, but they should have someone uh, with a seat at the table with uh, the other leadership. Price, quality, and speed. Prioritize two out of three. Quality and speed, at least uh, in in the environments that um, I've worked in, in in tech, that is that is the uh, the key is quality and speed. <laughs> I, I mean, I I think when I first entered uh, the field, I think it was around price and quality. I don't think speed was necessarily part of the conversation as it is today. I think that's a whole nother talk, though. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We live in a world of, full of fast decisions and fast things that we have to cope with. Going back to our previous question about uh, CCOs and whether every every company needs to have one, uh, that some organizations are too small to have a CCO. What do you think about this, Josh? I would agree with that. I think it's important for someone to be playing that role, even if it's they're playing dual roles. Oftentimes on startups, folks will play multiple roles. Um, they'll be an engineer and the CTO. Um, but I, I do think it's important to have have someone um, that is uh, playing that playing that role within the company. Great. We have last question, which is hire for skills and culture will follow or hire for culture fit and skills can be learned. I would probably choose hire for culture. Um, I think there has to be some level of skill, though, that, you know, um, I think that's the first thing, at least when I'm hiring, that's the first thing that I, I look at is 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 skill. But then once you get into the conversation, um, I think what separates um, the different candidates for me would be culture, and 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 that's a it's a bit of a loaded word, um, culture fit. I think it's more. Uh, can you see yourself uh, basically having a relationship with this person uh, that that you probably spend more time with them than you do with your family, um, and so so it's uh, that's sort of how I look at it. Um, so, but I understand what we mean by culture in this context wonderful and and thanks for providing your perspective i think it's um 
yeah, very interesting to hear your thoughts on each of them because I, I don't think there is a unified kind of uh, agreement about how mm -hmm. these things should be done. And I think it's so important to hear different opinions and voices. And definitely that's something I question every time whether skills are important or culture is more important and what do you how do you make those tough decisions mm -hmm. and whether you should look at the data or you should trust your own intuition um, but I think that's what makes uh, the beauty, beauty of this world when nothing is 100% certain and how did your career as a musician make you a better creative leader what are your thoughts on that it's something I've thought about quite a bit um, I think the early days at least for me the early days of um, uh, playing in bands I, I was always drawn to um, how do we get people to come see us and get people to our shows. And so even, even prior to um, knowing even what design was, I was uh, making uh, flyers uh, and posters. And I was, I was cutting up type, pasting it down, pasting pictures on top of that, and then taking it to uh, a copy a copy um, store and making multiple copies of it. And someone, you know, later on told me, Hey, that's design. I'm like, it is. But I was always very drawn to that. Um, and, and really the promotional part of, and, and the business part of being uh, in the band. Um, I always seemed to play that role, no matter what, what band I, I was in at the time. Um, and I, so I think a lot of those experiences uh, really helped sort of shape how I think about uh, how I think about um, my, you know, being a creative um, and really um, helping to shift people's um, minds and, and be interested in enough to um, maybe look at that flyer and, and be interested to go see the band. I've always sort of connected those two things. This is so wonderful. And I have to say, there are so many creative fields in terms of like music, cooking and other fields that are have exactly very similar facets of creativity, but yeah. we rarely are immersed in both of them. I think we might be passionate about certain things, but you had a great experience of being fully immersed in two very, very creative fields. So I'm sure your neurons in your brain connected in so many different ways uh, that uh, kind of benefited uh, each of these fields uh, nicely. We have questions from... Uh, people uh wonderful valentina is asking who or which function is your dupla or partner at work uh the brand the brand team is my closest partner and uh, um i i would say that it is um it's we're almost one team i think i think in the best in the best situations um the brand and creative teams are are, are literally one team but maybe um are in two different parts of uh the company, but that is my closest um, and best partnership at both uh, Atlassian and when I was at Meta. Next question comes from Andrew from Slash. He's asking, how do you overcome the challenge of needing to scale, letting go of control by not actually being the one behind the computer so that you can create growth within a smaller team? Yeah, I think this goes back to where we started about the trust. Um, I think you need to, I think you need to surround yourself or hire folks that you really can trust and let them do their thing um, and, and be there for guidance and help them, help them unblock any challenges that they're having. Um, but really let, um, really let them um, do, do what you hired them to do. I think when you try to immerse yourself and get really, um, in the weeds with everything, there's no way that that will work at scale. And so you have to hire people that you can trust to to do what they what they do best, no matter whether that's a producer, program manager, creative, you have to hire people that you can trust and you have to be um, okay with um, you know letting go of some of some of the things that you may have been used to overseeing. you have to really trust. I think that was one of the probably, most challenging parts of, of moving up in my career is letting go of certain of certain aspects of it and and realizing that um, maybe what someone on your team created wouldn't isn't exactly what you had what you have done, but it was still a great solution. And so um, you have to trust and and really and really invest in them. That is a great answer. 
Emma is asking, when it comes to creating a thriving creative culture, what's one or two things you've tried that worked well? I think one of the things is um, is uh, autonomy. I think it's a little bit different than trust, um, but really um, helping helping your teams um, feel invested in in whatever it is that they're that they're working on. That that really helps to build um, a, a culture of. Um, I guess I guess it helps to build the trust, but but also um, psychological safety. I think that um, when we work in an environment where we feel safe um, to take risks, to maybe um, ask dumb questions that maybe you feel dumb, but there might be five other people that have that same question. Um, I think it's it's really I think creating an environment of psych- psychological safety and where people feel um, empowered to um, to take risks. Yeah, just be creative. Um, that's one. I think the second one is, um, in, especially within in tech, I think it's important to have outside perspective. So oftentimes, when we, you you know, within within Silicon Valley, you can really get immersed in you know in in thinking of in thinking about what it is that you're working on. I think virtual reality is a great example. You know, when you think about that technology day in and day out every day you start to think that, oh, this must be how everyone thinks about it. And then you go outside and you go to a conference and, uh, you know, this is, I'll just tell you my experience. I went, I remember going to a conference in South Carolina and um, it, which is in the middle of the U.S. and realizing no one was talking about virtual reality or gave a shit about virtual reality. Um, it really helps put things in per, into perspective and, and really like um, helps you reset how you're going to reach different audiences um, with your work. And so I think outside perspective is another great way to help build um, a culture of creativity and, um, and really help people understand that um, it's it's a big world and we really need to take in all the different um, inputs. I love the, this point that you mentioned about getting outside and seeing different perspectives because I think it it also it's the it's great advice for so many other points of creating a good culture whether it's about inspiration and getting inspired by things that are not within your immediate team and products that you design or whether it is uh, talking to customers and hearing feedback firsthand and actually <laughs> not relying on things that you assume yeah. uh, people want to do with your product. Uh, all of these things, on one hand, they can be uh, shocking and surprising. On the other hand, that's what provides you inspiration and actually drives you to do something um, different. Lovely. Jess uh, from Webflow is asking, what was the most challenging aspect of leading smaller creative team to a 100-plus team? One of the challenges I was make is getting everyone invested in the vision, um, whatever you know, it, and that changes depending on the business context. But I think that was probably the hardest, one of the most challenging things um, was was getting everybody on the same page. When it's when it's when it's small, when there's a small team, people can have a tendency just to do their own thing, and that's okay because. Um, there's so many things to tackle and do that 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 can kind of work. Um, but as you grow, you have to sort of get more focused um, as you bring on more people and specialists um, for different areas and disciplines. Um, you have to you have to get more focused, and I think is 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 creating a vision that um, rallies everyone to that focus um, was probably one of the more challenging um, parts. We have a tricky question from Zoe. <laughs> um, I have no C-suite creative leadership where I work. I'm the global creative director at group level. The company's games company made of made up of many studios, all creating content. How can I help drive consistency across these studios and their content development when there is little support other than mm-hmm. the brand team on site? Any thoughts of wisdom? We had this early days of Facebook. Um, I, what I would suggest is doing an audit and putting it all together visually so everyone can see the inconsistency. Uh, we for, when I first started working at Facebook and wanting to put together a brand book, uh, there was a lot of 
uh, questions onto why that would be important. Um, there, it wasn't obvious. I think to this audience, it's obvious. Uh, but at the time, the company was not not sure why, why that was needed. Uh, and so I did an audit at all the different thumbs, or the team did a different audit uh, of all the different thumbs that were being used across the product. It was 25 different variations of the thumb. Um, and we put together, I remember putting that together in a slide. There were some gaps. <laughs> People had no idea that that was happening. Um, and, and I, I found that that was just a great way, um, to show the visual inconsistency and why it's damaging to the brand. I think it's around, uh, oftentimes it's around education. And I think that's part of all of our roles, whether you're, uh, you know, a junior designer all the way through, um, uh, you know, chief creative officer, I think part of our role is to help educate people on the value of consistency and design. I love the practical steps. That's, that's <laughs> what is the best. Let's do this. And this is how you do it. Brilliant. And it's a hard, I, I, it sounds like a very linear process, but I can imagine there are so many. It's very hard. It's very hard. Yeah, that I would say that that process was like months and months and months. You know, it's easy to sum it up in a few sentences, but it was months and months of work. What do you wish you knew about this process that uh, maybe Zoe, who, who will be going through this soon, should know before starting it? Uh, you'll definitely encounter folks that even you're showing visually the inconsistency and maybe explaining why uh, they still won't understand why it's important. And that's okay. I think getting the right people to understand is, is the most important thing. Um, but you, you'll definitely never have 100% agreement on, on the importance of it. And I think, I think that was something in my career that, um, that was, you know, I learned kind of late actually, and maybe, and maybe that was um, for the better. But I, I, I always thought that everyone had the same view on design and brand as I did. Like, of course, it has to be great. I remember, you know, talking to talking to different folks throughout my career and realizing that, you know, they could look at something that, like, I didn't feel was a great uh, visual communication and something that was great visual communication side by side, and they did not see the difference. Um, and it was it was both heartbreaking as well as uh, enlightening for me um, to realize that there is just some folks that don't, that is just not how they're wired. Um, and um, hopefully, hopefully they will agree, uh, agree that and, and rely on your expertise when it comes to, to choosing um, uh, a different path, uh, a path or a solution. Um, but there is just folks that that's not how they're wired. Um, they they don't see the difference in good or not good design. Yeah, it's sometimes so hard um, when you know something to imagine someone who doesn't know it. Uh, yeah. uh, that's, um, yeah, we've all been there. I think that's what finance people see in us when they show us some, in my opinion, very complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm looking at, but I'm sure you know. And they're like, this is simple. Yeah. Why, why is it? Does it seem complicated? But yeah. Well, that's where, that's where trust comes in. Again, back to trust. That's where trust comes in. As much as we want folks to trust us, we also need to trust. Very true. Very true. Eva Monte is asking how to present big ideas when you are not in the strategy level, but execution after briefing construction. I lead a team in Brazil for Meta, and we are constantly asked for big ideas, but the briefing arrives pretty close to us. I'm not sure if this applies, but we, we would often do prototyping of the idea. Um, oftentimes, a strategy document or even a simple visual representation doesn't do the job. And so we would often prototype the idea and demonstrate so someone could actually feel and, and interact with, with the idea. So I, I would say um, any, anything that can make it more tangible for the audience, I think is, is, is um, it's, it's often a lot of extra work, um, but I think um, it, it usually pays off to prototype. And is it prototype you feel like work because again, they are potentially closer to the impact and linking what 
maybe design team is doing to potential impact it can make so it helps the rest of the teams to understand exactly business and and link to other things that can change sort of where we, what we were just talking about that people could visualize exactly what I was visualizing as I spoke about it and that's not always true um, and so and so a, a prototyping or getting closer to the real experience is is often helpful in those situations because it, it really um has the light bulb go on for folks that are making the decisions um and they're like oh now i see what you're talking about and oftentimes i'll in my head be thinking how did you not see that um, but okay <laughs> uh, but that's where that's where you have to employ empathy as well empathy is such an important quality for any designer but especially yeah. the more you go to the leadership uh definitely something you have to rely on a lot there is last question that i cannot not to ask because it's very special uh from matthew speaking strictly from a design leadership point of view what's your preferred dimensions for a skateboard deck <laughs> um well, I uh, I think that has changed over the years. Uh, now that I'm older, uh, a longer skateboard is better for me. Um, so I would probably say like uh, 30, 36 inches is uh, 36 inches uh, long and uh, nine and a half inches wide. <laughs> Love it. And I feel like there could be another whole conversation about all the influences you had in, in your life from music to skateboards and your new book as well is uh, all about that which is yeah. really really exciting i have one last question left for you josh that we love asking our incredible design leaders in the community which is a bit philosophical if you could change one thing in the world what would it be if i could change equality in the world for for everyone i think that would be the number one thing yeah that's uh i i would 100% agree with your answer and um, yeah I think that's something especially having such a global community we can all relate to and uh, yeah. uh, I, I vote for your answer Josh. Awesome. <laughs> Are you considering political career anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I will I will help out uh, any politician I can <laughs> with with creativity. <laughs> with creativity well uh this was fantastic and thank you so so much for for joining us uh, and providing all your wisdom Georgia. again i feel like we could have another eight hours talking about every single point that you mentioned and we would learn so much more from everything you've done uh, so thank you for spending this one and a half hour with us thanks so much for having me i really um, i really enjoyed my time and thanks to everyone that tuned in and listened to me uh, uh blab <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Yes, bye. Bye.